Let's get our Bibles out from the book of Ruth, chapter number one. Ruth, chapter number one. Keep Pastor in prayer, of course, as he's, as Brother Montgomery mentioned earlier, he's preaching in St. Lucia, and uh, pray that God will give him a good conference uh, the remainder of this week and a safe trip uh, back home. And uh, we'll look forward to what God has for us this evening. We'll look forward to the weekend and uh, see what God will do with us and with our church as we try to serve him uh, the best that we can. I want to be a help to you here this evening, and I believe that the Bible obviously holds all the answers that we need in life. Uh, any, any problem that we face, God has an answer for it, and we just need to be in the Bible and reading it and seeing what God has for us. And so I hope that uh, what God put on my heart to preach tonight will be a help to you this evening. Uh, a couple, about, it's probably about a month, month and a half ago, uh, we were pulling in on a Wednesday evening, and I think it was uh, when Brother Collingsworth preached. And pastor was out of town, and my daughter, Kate, she goes from the back seat. She goes, Daddy, are you preaching tonight? I said, no, Kay, I'm not. And uh, she, she hands me a piece of paper, and I actually got that piece of paper in my Bible. And she goes, well, here's a sermon for you just in case. And, um, you know, I actually looked at it, and, you know, it was, it was kind of convicting. And I was like, maybe she's modeled her role model as the, the prophetess Deborah or something. But, um, you know, out of the mouth of babes, the Bible says, but uh, we'll look forward to what God has for this evening. I'll try to, obviously, not take up too much of your time. I know, obviously, you all have had a busy week, uh, but I do want to get a truth across uh, to us here this evening from God's Word, and I don't know about you, uh, I'm ready to listen to some Christmas music when I get out of here, and I drove up here listening to it, and I'm going to hop in the car, and I'm going to listen to it on the way home, and how many of you have already broke it out? How many of you are waiting until Thanksgiving or after? <laughs> now, how many of you think it's, it's wrong to listen to it before Thanksgiving? You bunch of communists. <laughs> I, I always, I always, yeah, I know, Antichrist. <laughs> I always say, hey, I'm always up for a, a good song about Jesus Christ any time of the year. And, uh, but uh, Ruth, Ruth chapter number one. Uh, we'll begin reading with verse number one. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Uh, a famous passage of scripture uh, of a famine going through the land of Israel. And of course, we know the story. If you've been in church, if you've grown up in church, you, you, I, I, I'm sure you've heard of this story. Uh, how Elimelech decides to move his family from the very place God had for him uh, to a place that God never intended for him. And we know the tragic, uh, the tragic sentence that happened when he did that. Uh, I want to I bring a message out of this passage of scripture. Uh, I've entitled the message this, He left the house of bread and ended up in the house of the dead. He left the house of bread 
and ended up in the house of the dead. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, preach your word. Lord, I pray that you give me your words to say. Give me power as I preach. Lord, I pray that I'll be a help and a blessing to somebody here this evening. Lord, I pray that uh, anybody that's going through uh, trials in life, Lord, that they'll pay special attention uh, to what's about to be preached. Lord, uh, I pray to be with Pastor as he's gone, bring him back safely, and I pray to help us to leave here. Glad that we came to church in Jesus' name. Amen. He left the house of bread and ended up in the house of the dead. In the opening sentence of the opening verse of the opening chapter of the book of Ruth, we find a terrible famine sweeping through the land of Israel. To properly understand the cause of the famine, the contents of the previous book of Judges must be considered. The story of the book of Judges is one of departure from God, of how a people began by serving the living and true God, then turned from him to idolatry and moral corruption, doing that which was right in their own eyes. As is the case when man does that which is right in his own eyes, we find in Ruth chapter 1, in verse number 1, the Bible says, It came to pass that there was a famine in the land. And let me remind you here today, anytime you leave the things of God, and anytime you get away from God, and you take matters into your own hands, and you decide to uh, do that which is right in your own eyes, it will come to pass. Uh, you cannot live in uh, rejection of God, and rejection of the commands of God, and there not time come to pass where God's judgment sets in. Man, naturally rebellious to his core, always finds himself living in the consequences of his own choices. It's in this passage that we are quickly introduced to a certain man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech, the Bible says, was from uh, Bethlehem, Judah, a place of importance and significance in Scripture. This place called Bethlehem, Judah, is interestingly interpreted as the house of bread. Elimelech has a family. His wife's name's Naomi. His son's names are Malon and Chilion. And without a doubt, once you think about this, Elimelech is under intense pressure that this famine has brought uh, about. He is the provider of his family. Uh, he is the protector of his family. It is his responsibility to care for his family. And it is through this setting and scenario that we tragically read of Elimelech's terrible decision. He sees the green grass mirage uh, of Moab and decides to make his move. He leaves the land of Israel for the land of Moab. Rather than flee to God for help, Elimelech flees to the godless for help. And in doing so, does the very thing that God warned the people of Israel not to do in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verses 3 through 6. I'm going to turn there real quick and read that passage. The Bible says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way, when ye came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor of Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Now notice this, thou shalt not seek their peace, nor their prosperity all the days forever. God clearly said to his people, have nothing to do with the Ammonites. Have nothing to do with the Moabites. And here we find Elimelech, 
Obviously, I believe in my heart, knowing the commandment of God. I mean, you, you think about the Jews. They are trained heavily in the law. They are trained heavily in God's expectations. And Elimelech, knowing the commandment of God, willingly decided to disobey the commandment of God. I mean, in his mind, it wasn't going to be for long. He only intended to sojourn, but he ended up staying. His temporary sojourn turned into a 10-year stay. And it is during their 10-year stay that we find this family tragically losing some things while in the land of Moab. Now, real quick, uh, before I get into the message, I want to point out some things that this family lost because it's a tragic story. First off, the Bible tells us they lost their faith. You, you, you find that they're in the land of Israel, the land of the living God, the land of uh, the sovereign God, the Jehovah God. They moved to Moab, and it's not long before we find they lose their faith. The Bible says that they went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Look at verse 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people, and unto her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. You see, whenever you go to the land of Moab, you go to the place God never intended for you to go, you can't help but to lose your faith in the things of God. You see, they ran from the place they should have been, and they lost their faith. They're, the boys marry the godless heathens of Moab. Uh, and they worshiped the gods of Moab. They lost their faith. Not only that, they lost their father. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left in her two sons. Uh, Elimelech, the one who chose to go, ends up dying. They lost their father. Now, you realize now in the day that we live in, I mean, it's tragic if you lose the head of the house. It's tragic if you lose the husband. It's tragic if you lose the father. But it's nowhere close to the tragedy as it was in the Bible days. You see, you lost your husband. You lost your father. You lost the, uh, the head of the house, so to speak. Unless you had someone, another male in, uh, figure in the family, you were doomed uh, for your future. But we notice here they lose their father. Not only that, they lose their future. Look at verse 5. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Oh, it's not that bad. I mean, it's tragic that she lost Elimelech. But I, I wonder if in the back of her mind she was just thinking, I still have Malon. I still have Chilion. I still have hope. There's still a future because I have someone to take care of me. She loses her future. They were bound for a life of destitution. They were bound for a life. Uh, of hopelessness. They were bound for a life uh, of homelessness. They lost their future. Verse 6 tells us they lost their favor. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. You know, uh, you don't get the idea that she's looking from Moab and thinking, this is a great place to be. Uh, I'm glad I left Israel. I'm glad I left the place I came from. No, she lost everything, her favor. She lost the blessings of God. But last but not least, in verses 20 and 21, they lost their fullness. Look what the Bible says in verse 20. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty had dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? They lost their fullness. They went out full. They had everything, and she even testifies herself 
I had it all and I'm empty. I had it all and I've lost it all. You see, they left having everything and they ended up losing practically everything. He left the house of bread and ended up in the house of the dead. Now, God puts everything in scripture for a reason. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16, the Bible tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And it's here we find that in this account in the book of Ruth, though thousands of years old, friend, has application for you and I here today. You see, I, I want to help you here tonight. I want to help each and every one of us here tonight. Uh, these, these, these stories in God's word, they're not just there to fill up uh, a book so we can just have something to read through a, a Bible plan every, every year. God puts these stories here for a reason. They're profitable for us for doctrine. We can get doctrines out of God's word. We can get reproof out of God's word. We can get correction out of God's word. And we can get instruction in righteousness out of God's word. And if we're not careful, we skim over it. We miss it. We miss the truth. We say, what a tragic story. I'm glad I'm not like Elimelech. I'm glad that I've got some brains to me. I'm glad I, I, I don't do what Elimelech does. But hold on. You see, Bethlehem Judah, the house of bread, represents something here today. I believe it represents God's will for your life. I believe the house of bread, Bethlehem Judah, represents God's will for your life. And let me say this, the will of God is not some mystical, unknown purpose that you have to find. God's not playing hide and seek with you with the will of God and, and, and saying, hey, hope you find it. Uh, we're on a big scavenger hunt here. No, uh, the will of God is what is in front of you that God has commanded you to do. The will of God is opportunities that God has made available to you because of your faithfulness to him. Uh, the will of God is not something that you hope to stumble into. No, the will of God is what has God given me to do. God's given me a Bible to read. Okay, that's the will of God for my life. God has given me a time to pray with him. That's the will of God for my life. God's given me a church to go to him uh, and learn more about him and to serve him through. That's the will of God for my life. God's given me a command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm to be a soul winner. I'm to go with the gospel. That is the will of God uh, for you. You see, the will of God is what God has given you and commanded you to do. I want you to think about it like this. The marriage that God gave you, that's the will of God for you. The family that God gave you, that's the will of God for you. The church that God has given you, that is the will of God for you. That ministry that you serve in in this church in some way, shape, or form, there's so many ministries around here, can't even keep track of all of them, but that ministry that you serve God in, that is the will of God for you. That job that you work each and every day throughout the week, week in and week out, that one that you labor in and you, you, you work at to provide for your family, that is the will of God for you. Uh, hey, hey uh, uh, I was about to say school kids. Uh, I guess that is true. Uh, teens and young people going to school and learning and growing and listening to your teachers, that is the will of God for you. Uh, college students going to college, passing your classes, uh, living by the rules and growing as a Christian and learning to live by a higher standard, that is the will of God for you. And see, Bethlehem Judah represents God's will for your life. Now, let's look at the word famines here. I believe famines represent the troubles and trials 
that come into your life while in the will of God. I mean, it matters not. Let's be honest here. Uh, it matters not whether those troubles and trials are of your own doing or not. When you are in the will of God, let's be honest here, we all make bad decisions. And sometimes we bring upon ourselves troubles and trials unnecessarily. You can be in the will of God, and you can be serving God, and you know what? You'll face some famines. Uh, I'm not focused on whether uh, the famines are uh, because of bad choices or not. We all know that famines come into our life, whether we are doing what is right or doing what is wrong. Famines represent the troubles and trials that come into your life while doing the will of God. One thing is for certain, because we live in a world of troubles and trials, there are always Christians who in their mind, long before they leave the will of God for their life, consider it in their minds because of the troubles and trials that have come into their life. I, I don't know what everyone's facing here tonight, but I do know this, we're all human beings, we all have problems, we all have trials. We all have troubles. There may be someone here today saying, man, my marriage is having some problems. Maybe, just maybe, this wasn't God's will for my life. Well, hey, you know what? Maybe it wasn't, but you're married now. So you know what? You're in it for the long haul. Uh, that's the will of God for your life. Maybe there's someone here today that says, man, I'm having problems with my family. I'm having family issues, family problems. Maybe I'm not in the right place. Maybe I am in the wrong place. Hey, uh, that family that God gave you, that's the will of God for you. Sometimes problems rise up in a church, and people look at their church and say, wow, I, maybe I made the bad choice in joining this church. Maybe this isn't God's will for my church. Hey, why do we think that just because famines come into our life, just because trials and troubles come into our life, that we are not in the will of God? We make the same mistake Elimelech made. He looks at, at Moab and says, hey, there's no problems over there. I must not be in the will of God for my life. It must be better over there. Now, I want us to think about this here today. I want to make six statements that you should consider before you leave the house of bread and end up in the house of the dead. I'm not saying that God's going to take your life if you leave the will of God, though he may. God has a history of doing a lot of different things. Sometimes it resulted in a physical death like Elimelech. Sometimes it results in a, uh, a, a uh, spiritual death. I mean, not that you lose your salvation, but you kill your spiritual life for God. And sometimes you never recover from it. Uh, sometimes it results in a mental death. People just go back crazy sometimes because they reject what God has for them, and they reject, and they reject, and they reject, and you know what? They live with that for the rest of their life, and they go crazy over it. I wish I could go back. I wish I could do what God had given me to do. We're not going to focus on what does the house of the dead mean. Are you saying, Brother French, that if I leave the will of God, God's going to strike me dead? I'm not saying that, though he may. What I'm saying is you're going to lose something when you leave the house of the bread. Now, I want to make six statements here tonight that you should consider before you leave the house of bread. Number one, statement number one, famines are inevitable. Famines are inevitable. Now, I know that the Bible here says that they were in a famine because it, during the day of the judge's ruling, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I want to focus on where we're at today, and I want you to think about this. Remember, the house of bread, Bethlehem, Judah, that represents the will of God for your life, for my life, and that can entail a number of different things. Your church, your home, 
your marriage, your family, the ministry God gave you, the, the job that God gave you, school, college, you name it. It can be anything that God's given you to do. Famines are inevitable. Um, troubles and trials come to every person and every place. They come to the best of people and to the worst of people. They come to the best of places and the worst of places. And I want you to think about this. Names have a meaning, especially in Bible times. People were named based off of what they were. And quite honestly, a lot of times their character reflected what their name meant. Elimelech, in my opinion, was a faithful man. His name means, is interpreted as, my God is king. It gives insight into his life and his character. I believe that Elimelech put God first in his life. I believe uh, uh, in a day and age when the Bible says there was no king in Israel and every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes, I believe Elimelech submitted himself to God as his king. That's what his name means. Uh, I believe that Elimelech uh, submitted himself to God as king. We know that he was in the will of God for his life until he decided to leave for Moab. I, I, I mean, it's easy to read this and say, what a dirty, low, low down, no good for nothing uh, child of God. I mean, well, what's his problem? He can't trust God. And I, I, I beg to differ. I think Elimelech up to this point was a faithful man. The Bible says nothing about his character other than when he makes this decision. God is, has a history of either naming people in the Bible and letting us see the extreme bad of them, or he records them and lets us see the good for them. Very rarely does God just randomly pull out stories and they're just there for, there, for that reason. Now, we don't see much, a whole lot bad about Elimelech, but I do believe this. I believe he was a faithful man. I think about Naomi. Naomi was no different. Her name is interpreted as pleasant. It gives insight into her life and character. I believe she was a pleasant person to be around. Perhaps a cup full kind of person. Always seeing the positive in every situation. We do know that she was faithful, for she faithfully stood by her husband's side even in his bad decisions. Uh, she was a faithful woman. Uh, she was, her name means pleasant. I think she walked around and she found the good in everything. I mean, and that's, ladies, that's how you ought to be. Uh, there's no room for having a critical spirit. You got to protect your spirit, ladies. Uh, I understand burdens come and trials come and problems come, but you ought to be pleasant and you should never get a critical spirit. Uh, you ought to always be faithful and stand by the side of those in your life that are important. But we find here Naomi was no different. She was in the place she should have been, in the will of God. We're told of their two sons, Malon and Chilion. The meanings of their names give insight into their state. Malon means unhealthy, and Chilion means puny. <laughs> uh, I, my, name, my name means little king. Uh, my middle name was Douglas, means red. My mom named that to me because I was beat red when I came out, and I'm still red. I'm red all the time. And uh, names have a meaning. Uh, how would you like to be named unhealthy and puny? Um, that was their name. Now, I want you to think about this, because these boys were born to Elimelech and Naomi while they were in the will of God. Uh, they, they, they didn't leave and go to Moab and have Malon and Chilion. They're in the will of God. 
They, they give birth to these two boys, and they look at them, and they see them, and no doubt they say, unhealthy and puny. Uh, I want you to think about this. These names were given to them as proof that famines come to every person, every place, to the best of people, and to the worst of people. You see, they were in the will of God, and the famines came. They were not out of the will of God when the famine came. They were where God wanted them. I believe they were probably doing what God wanted them to do, and the famines came. You see, famines are inevitable. Famines are tough times. They are tough times. I mean, every parent has dreams and goals when they hear that they're expecting, and they, they, they want to give birth to a healthy baby boy and a healthy baby girl, and no doubt they had dreams and goals, and maybe they thought, our son will be the next judge. He'll be the next Samson. He'll be the next this ruler. And out pops unhealthy. <laughs> and out pops puny. And it's proof there that, hey, I don't care if you're in the will of God, out of the will of God. Famines are going to come. Hard times are going to come. Uh, that marriage that you have, uh, you may think that when you got married, hey, it's going to be just perfection for the rest of my life. It, I mean, I can't wait to get married and then we'll just have the perfect marriage. We're not going to ever fight. We're not going to ever disagree. We're not ever going to have a problem. Famines come. That home that you have, you set out and you said, my children are going to be the best children. My children are going to be the best behaved. My children are never going to get in trouble. My children are never going to get detentions. My children are never going to make bad choices. And you know what? Famines come in the land. Uh, I mean, famines are inevitable. They happen to the best of us. They happen to the worst of us. And just because a famine comes, do not make the mistake that, that Elimelech made. I wonder if I'm in the right place that God wants me to be in. I wonder if I should be over there. I wonder if I should be over here. No, all I'm saying is famines are inevitable. They're testing times. You know, God sometimes sends famines to test us. Uh, famines are testing times. Famines are teaching times. God wants you to learn something. God wants to help you with something. And sometimes the best way to learn something is to go through a trial, to go through some trouble, to go through some things. So God says, hey, get your attention back on me. Stop focusing on this. Stop focusing on that. Famines are inevitable. Statement number two, running from famines is not the answer. Running from famines is not the answer. You see, when you run from a famine, you are ultimately running from God because God is the one who allows the famine and God is the one who sends the famine and God is waiting on you to learn from that famine and get back to him. And so when you say, I got to get away from this famine, you turn and you run, you are running from God. God sends famines for two reasons. First off, to purge us. Sometimes God sends trouble into our life because he says, there is something in there in your life. Uh, maybe there's something in uh, that church. Maybe there's something in that home. Maybe there's something uh, in your life that should not be there. So I'm going to send some trouble, and I want to purge you of what shouldn't be there. And you're going to get mad and run from it and say, no, i, I got to get away from this famine. You're missing the whole picture. Famines or running from famines is not the answer. Another reason why God sends famines is to purify. You may not, you may not have per, particularly anything in your life that God says, I don't want in there. But maybe God wants to purify you so he can use you in a greater way. 
Maybe God says, hey, I'm glad you're serving me. I'm you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. But I want to get you to another level, so to speak, so that you can do more for me. And we turn and run from the famine. We turn and run from the trials and the trouble because we think that we're going to uh, get away from it. And God says, hey, you can't run from the famine. You can't run from your problems. Running's always intended to be momentary and short-lived. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. That word sojourn means temporary, momentary, just there for a short while. You're just on a vacation. You're just on a visit. You're just dropping by. You're, you're not staying there. You're just sojourning. You see, anytime any Christian runs from their famine, runs from a trial, runs from trouble, it's always intended to be momentary. It's always intended to be short-lived. But notice here, running always becomes habitual and long-term. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Look at verse 4. At the end of verse 4, and they dwelled there about 10 years. Huh. I went to sojourn. I, I mean, I, I like sojourning in Michigan, the great state of Michigan. I mean, I love sojourning there. But you know what? I've never sojourned there, and then 10 years later, it was like, good night. I had tickets for two weeks. It's been 10 years. How did that happen? I have never sojourned, and it ended up being 10, 10 years. But that's what happened to, to Elimelech. He said, I'm just going to get away for a while. There's a famine in the land. I got to get away from the famine. I got to leave the trial. I got to leave the trouble. He said, I'll be back once the famine's over with. Ten years later, no one's heard of Elimelech. What happened to him? Oh, he's dead. Oh, he died. He ran from the very thing that he thought was going to kill him, and he ended up walking into the trap that did kill him. You see, running from famines is not the answer. And friend, can I remind you here today? that trial that you're facing in your life, that trouble, that famine that's entered in, and you're in the will of God. You, 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 I mean, you, you've got the home God's given you. You've got the church God's given you. You've got the ministry God's given you. You've got the job God's given you, and there's some trouble going on in your life, in the will of God for your life, and you're thinking, if only I could get a different job, or if only I had a different church, or only if I had a different home. Hey, you're headed for trouble. Realize here, running from famines is not the answer. Number three, turning to God is the answer. Turning to God is the answer. God, don't miss this, God sent this famine because every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. God said, I have never intended for you to do what's right in your own eyes. I gave you the law. I gave you expectations. I gave you judges to correct you and to confront you. I've never expected you to do what's right in your own eyes. All they had to do was say, God, you've got our attention. God, we are sorry. Oh, we're, we, we don't like this famine. We want uh, the blessings once again. God, what have we done to bring this upon us? But notice here, that's not what Elimelech did. I think he was where he should have been. I mean, I know he was where he should have been. I believe he was probably doing, to a certain extent, what he should have been doing. His name and his wife's name give us no reason to doubt that. God says nothing about how they lived wicked lives. But a famine comes and they say, hey, 
we've got to get out of here. And they never considered the fact that maybe we should go to God. Maybe we should turn to God. Maybe there's something God's trying to get our attention about. Maybe we should turn to him. No, what did they do? They turned to Moab. They turned to the very place God said have nothing to do with. For all of eternity have nothing to do with them. He, he didn't say just for a year or two. He didn't say until that generation dies off. He said have nothing to do with that land. And they turned to the godless instead of turning to God. You see, turning to God's the answer. You have problems in your home? Turning to God's the answer. Not running from the problem. Not running to the world. Not running to the wisdom of the world. No, turn to God. You have problems in a church sometimes? You know what the answer to that is? Turn to God. Uh, not turn to another pastor out there and see what he thinks. Not turn to YouTube. Not turn to some book out there. Not turn to some blog. No, you turn to God. Uh, you have problems in a marriage? Hey, don't turn to Dr. Phil. Don't turn uh, to these other uh, people who, I wonder if they've even ever been married. I don't know. I, I've, I don't know. Has Dr. Phil ever been married? I don't know. Uh, he's divorced. Don't turn to Dr. Phil. Um, we ought to turn to God. You have problems with your kids. Don't turn to this world. There's too many Christian uh, parents that are looking to the world on how to raise my little Johnny and little Susie. And they're taking worldly philosophies and they're not listening to God. They should be turning to God. Hey, Christian parents, you have problems with children. Turn to God. You see, turning to God is the answer. And if we're not careful, we live in this world that permeates our society. And they are pumping it at us all the time through news, through social media, through books, through just hearing conversations out in public. We hear these things said, and if we're not careful, they get ingrained up here, and we turn to all of these things when we have problems, and God says, just turn to me. Turning to God is the answer. Number four, God always visits his people and gives them bread. You see, Famines are inevitable, statement number one. Statement number two, running from famines is not the answer. Statement number three, turning to God is the answer. Statement number four, God always visits his people and gives them bread. Look at verse number six. The Bible says in the latter part of that verse, the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. God always visits his people and gives them bread. You see, he was in a famine. God, when's the bread coming? God, when's the end in sight? Oh, I guess I, I prayed and God didn't say anything, so I guess I better go to Moab and I guess I better get some bread over there. And you know what? He took off and, and did a 10-year trip, ended up in the house of the dead. But notice here, God always visits his people and gives them bread. So often we are trying to be patient in the will of God. We are faithfully doing what we ought to do. We go to church week in and week out. We read our Bible and pray each and every day. Let's be honest, sometimes we get frustrated. Maybe sometimes we are a little half-hearted in it, but we're trying to be faithful. We go soul winning. We try to tell others about Christ. We, uh, uh, we, we try to, to be what we ought to be in the home, and we, ought, we try to raise the kids like we ought. And famines come, and you get tempted, and you get tried, uh, and, and you are tempted to turn from God and run, but you realize that turning to God's the answer. I want to remind you here today, God always visits his people and gives them bread. You see, it's not a matter of if God visits his people. It's a matter of when. 
God is not on our timetable. Just because you have a problem in some area of the will of God for your life, whether it's your marriage, your home, uh, your children, uh, your church, some ministry in your, in your church, uh, your job, uh, your school, your college, just because you have a problem doesn't mean that God's not waiting to hear from you. And sometimes we make the mistake of, I'm going to pray about this, and we pray one time and pray two times. I haven't heard nothing. I guess I better run. I guess I better go over here where it's greener grass. Oh, you better be patient. God always visits his people and gives them bread. Statement number five, those who turn to God and remain receive God's blessings. Those who turn from God and run hear about God's blessings. Look at verse six. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Oh, what a truth here today to be reminded of. Those who turn to God and remain when the famines come, remind you, they're inevitable. They are coming whether you like it or not. Uh, they're, they're a way of life. It happens whether you're in the will of God, out of the will of God, famines are inevitable. You get tempted to run, but I remind you, running is not the answer. You turn to God because turning to God is the answer. God always visits his people and gives them bread. I remind you here today, those who turn to God and remain receive God's blessings. Those who turn from God and run, they hear about it. They say, huh, I'm over here in Moab, and I thought the answer was over here. So I ran over here, and you know what? I'm now looking back over here, and it looks like green grass over there. Didn't I just leave a barren wilderness? Didn't I just leave a, 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 a famine in the land? It's no different than the prodigal son. It's no different than any other story in the Bible. They were where they had it all. All they had to do was wait on the timing of the father. All they had to do was just be patient, and their time was coming, so to speak. Oh, but no, they saw the shiny lights. They saw the green grass, and they ran. Little did they know there was, a, there was a famine over there, a famine of a different sort. You see, you can have bread in your stomach, and you can experience famine in far worse areas than bread. Hey, and we notice here, after God takes Elimelech, God takes Malon, God takes Chilion, we notice here Naomi, she's sitting here, all of a sudden she hears some news. Man, what's that, what's that news I hear? What's that shouting I hear? And they say, hey, did you hear? No, what did I hear? What is that noise about? Hey, God has ended the famine in Israel. And she's sitting there on the outside looking in and wondering, what is that like? I'm not saying they never had blessings. I'm not saying that God couldn't still turn their situation around because he does. But what I'm saying is Naomi missed out on seeing God work a miracle. Why? Because they could not stay and turn to God. They had a problem come in. They said, we got to get out of here. And friendly reminds you here today, no matter what area of your life, that will of God for your life, just like I have a will of God for my life, God's given me a home. God's given me part, to be part of this church just like you. God's given me ministries to serve in. God's given you ministries to serve in. God's given uh, me a job. God's given you a job. I'm here to tell you famines are inevitable. And if we're not careful, we look at others, and we really shouldn't, but we look at others and say, I wish 
I could be over there. I wish, and maybe if I just leave and go over there, things will be better. And running's not the answer. Turning to God's the answer. You see, I believe there are new numbers of Christians all over this world that the problems came, the trials came, the hardships came, and maybe they endured for a while. Maybe they said, I'm going to buckle up. I'm going to see this through. God, I'm trusting you. God, I'm believing in you. God, I have faith in you. And somewhere along the line, they got tired. And they got frustrated. And they said, that's it. This cannot be the will of God. God promised to meet my needs. This cannot be the will of God. I'm out of here. And they leave their church. And they leave their home. And they leave their marriage. They turn their back on their kids. Uh, they leave that job that God gave them. And they think that, the green grass is over there. But then lo and behold, they find out that, hey, you know what? When I run, problems follow me. Uh, I run from a famine and I find another famine. Uh, what seemed to be green grass was just spray-painted grass. Um, it's really not there. So, you know, they made it look good. Uh, you know, the AstroTurf they put in football stadiums, now it looks so perfect. Um, it's fake. It's not real. And that's what happens when we face trials and tribulations, famine, so to speak, and we think that if I can just get away from it and run, I'll be all right. You'll be on the outside looking in saying, what is that like, God meeting needs? What is that like, God giving provision? Man, I thought that place was done for. I thought that place was over. I thought that relationship was done with. I thought that was over. I, I thought that place was closing up. And man, look, God's blessing them in even greater ways. I wonder... What would it have been like if I would have just stuck it out more? Those who turn to God and remain receive God's blessings. Those who turn from God and run hear about God's blessings. Statement number six, and I'll be done. Stay, for God is on his way. Stay, for God is on his way. You see, I don't know what trial you're facing, what area of life you're dealing with uh, that's giving you problems, that famine, so to speak, in your life. But I do know this. If you'll just trust God and turn to God and ask God to help you, give you the strength that you need to help you, I know this, God's bound to his word. He didn't say he'd show up the next day. He didn't say he'd show up the next year, though we want him to. He didn't say he would show up in five years, 10 years, 20 years. He just said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He, he said, my ways are not your ways. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you'll just stay where God has you, if you'll just trust God and what he's given you to do, even though the storms are coming and even though the troubles are, are, are piling up and even though the trials are getting you frustrated, I do know this, God's on his way. There's a, a poem I was reading a while back, and uh, it's called Don't Quit. Uh, it goes like this, when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're traveling seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you can never tell how close you are 
It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 16, the man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. He left the house of bread and ended up in the house of the dead.